This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. I am so excited to be welcoming to the show tonight Jenna Fisher, who is the Global Corporate Officers Sector Leader for the executive search firm Russell Reynolds Associates. She was also a student of mine here at the Wharton School in our MBA program in my total leadership class about 15 years ago. And I'm very happy to say that we have stayed in touch throughout that time. So let's talk a little bit, if we can, about the uh, the personal side of all this and, and family life and, and how, uh, how a person's life is affected by a role transition. You've, you've seen so much now as the priest, rabbi, friend, uh, uh, partner in this process. What... What do you see as the the main challenges? Like, what's the the most critical problem that people face when making a role transition, particularly at the executive level? But I imagine it it uh, translates to most job changes. What's what's your wisdom on that? I would say there are three things. One is don't wait too too long to launch a search. If you're starting to feel a lack of challenge, a feeling of unhappiness, general malaise, or just it's time to to move on and have that next opportunity to broaden yourself and it's not available within your company, allot yourself six to 12 months. It really can take that long. You don't want to be running from something. You want to be running to something. And just as from my vantage point as a search consultant, I will probably talk to on average 100 people for my client to hire one individual at the end of the day. As a candidate looking for a new opportunity, you have to be prepared to make that same Same ratio. Wow. Same proportional investment of talk to 100 companies or organizations that you might want to work in to find that one. Or individuals. Absolutely. I think you really have to be ready to do your diligence. The second is, as you think about what you're targeting, don't be too broad. You would laugh if you saw the resumes I get from people where they say, I'm looking for CEO, CEO, CFO, CHRO, CRO, jack of all trades. I can do anything. And no doubt there are lots of really talented people who really could do any number of things with their lives. But as a recruiter, it's just too hard for my brain to bucketize those individuals and really be helpful and targeted. And so, and that's probably true not just of recruiters, but of just your general network. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, if you're thinking about launching a job search, really think about one or maybe two buckets of jobs that you're looking to do and be specific so people know how to help you. What makes for a successful transition into a new role? Well, so this is where the third thing I think is important, which is once you're in that new role, don't lose touch with your network, particularly for more introverted people who don't naturally reach out to others. It can be really hard to ping somebody for a breakfast or a lunch, but if you let your network go cold, it'll be that much harder to reinvigorate it when you're ready to do your next search. Mm. And so as you're assimilating and onboarding into your new company, don't lose touch with all of the many people who helped get you there. Really, mm-hmm. I think it's just so valuable to be staying in touch, even if it's a, you know once a year outreach to mm-hmm. people. Have a short list of maybe 30 people that you want to make sure you stay in touch with mm-hmm. and update them. Think of them as sort of your external board of directors, if you will. What about your family? 
how do you keep your family on board and connected and and uh, appreciative and expressing to them your love for them when you're trying to make a positive impression when you're first starting out in a new role? Well, this is something that we talked about in your total leadership class at Wharton, didn't we, Stu? Um, about thinking about all of the different spheres and sectors of your life. And I mean, everybody might categorize it differently. For me, I have 10. I've got family, I've got work, health, friends, community, learning, hobbies, nature, spiritual, and time alone. So those 10 spheres. And, you know, people talk about work-life balance a lot. And, you know, in my opinion, work-life balance is not achieved on a daily basis. You have to look at it a bit more holistically, whether it's on a weekly or monthly basis, or maybe for some things, maybe it's annual. But or a lifetime. Re- Indeed. Um, and so I think that it's really imperative as you're going through any sort of big change, because let's face it, changing jobs next to getting married, divorced, having a child, buying a home, the death of somebody close to you, it's probably right up there with one of the big stressors and big changes in one's life. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, as in most things in life, when people talk about what are the keys to success, I always think communication. So communicate with the people who are most important and closest to you and say, gosh, you guys, you know, over the next few months, I'm going to have to spend a little bit more time than normal assimilating into this new job. And it might require some additional travel. It might require some flexibility. And, you know, I think families and kids in particular are really excited to feel part of that dialogue and understand what their parents are going through. Your spouse wants to be supportive. So I think don't hold it in. Talk about it and get their ideas. I mean, it's funny. Just yesterday, uh, it was President's Day. I had several hours of work I had to do. My kids were off from school. My husband was home from work. I really wanted to spend time with my family, but I also had to do some work. And so I said to them, guys, how can we figure this out? I want to spend as much time with you as possible, but I also want to get some work done. And it was my son who had the idea of, hey, could we come into your office and we can entertain ourselves and play while you do your work and then we can go to the museum together as a family. And that's what we did. And so, you know, it's amazing. Kids have such creative ideas and they're so supportive. And so don't be afraid to leverage them. To engage them in the process of of problem solving, to resolve those conflicts. And I want to note that my wife who is a clinical psychologist, her dissertation research at the University of Michigan uh, was about executive role transitions and their impact on families. So she did, her dissertation was called, you can look this up, folks, A Psychological Assessment of the Effects of Job Transfers on Executives and Their Families by Hallie Borston Friedman, University of Michigan Clinical Psychology, Ph.D., Um, And what she found in her study was that after repeated transfers, there's a negative impact on the family because of all the movement. What's your take on that, Jenna? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, not surprisingly, people fall into one of two camps when I reach out to them about opportunities that involve relocation. There are those individuals for whom, and we have a lot of them in the technology arena here in Silicon Valley, as there are many of them also in the financial services sector in New York, who simply will not move. They feel like, Mm -hmm. gosh, I'm in the hotbed of what my industry does and is all about, and I would be crazy to leave that. Um, And then there are others for whom they say, gosh, you know what? 
when you make a change, it kind of makes life new and exciting again. And it almost sort of extends hmm. time when you're in a new place, experiencing new things. And they're really up for the challenge. I do find, however, there are generally a few ages of children where folks are a bit more loath to make a move, mm-hmm. not surprisingly in the high school years. Mm-hmm. If you have kids that are happily ensconced in their schools and thriving, a lot of families will say, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not gonna change anything up. It might just be too deleterious for mm-hmm. our family and mm-hmm. for our children. Um, but, you know, one of my one of my best friends is the child uh, uh, whose parents moved quite a bit when he was young, and he actually went to Wharton himself, and he ended up being a fabulously successful partner at Goldman because I think he's just so adaptable and has such high EQ. So I think if done well, it can be a real positive, but I certainly respect uh, for some people it's just not on the cards. It's not on the cards to move because it's going to have, you, you can anticipate a negative impact on your family life, and so you, you choose not to. Exactly. I think there are probably ways to manage it. I'm involving kids in the, the process to get their buy-in mm-hmm. uh, early on can be can be one tact. I've seen that be successful for families. Yeah, no, I, um, I heard you talk about that before the break, and I, I want to underscore that. I'm glad you're bringing that up again, how important it is to, to involve them, but at, at different ages, right? Uh, young, young children are probably not capable of that sort of uh, um, understanding and, and contribution to the family discussion about you know the, such a, a monumental choice to move, for example. Um, at, at what age do you see the kids seem to be most uh, ready to participate in that process? I've seen kids as young as seventh or eighth grade who are really mature who say, gosh, you know, moving to California, I could all of a sudden play soccer year-round outside or you know what, I'm starting to feel a little bit stymied in this small town I'm living in right now, and moving to a different city could be really exciting, or even moving abroad. You know, we obviously move executives all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some kids can be mature enough to understand that and realize the advantages. Um, I think you really just have to know your child and know what you know what might be too scary for them. So- if I could just stay on this for one one more question about this. For for those uh, transitions that don't work because of family conflicts, like you move and your kids are miserable, your spouse is miserable, and you know, or her job or his job doesn't work out, or your kids are not happy because they are missing their friends, do you, do you get involved in any of that kind of um, uh, reparative or adapting activity? Is that a part of what your role is? Or once the transition's made, do you kind of step out and leave it to the, to the, to the people involved to, to work out those uh, adaptations and changes? So we typically, we certainly stay in very close touch with our successful candidates as they onboard and assimilate into the organization. And mm-hmm. frankly, many of them become clients of ours as we mm-hmm. help them build up their, their team. Mm-hmm. Um, we will often make introductions or help them get into schools that they might be applying to or provide uh, resources to help connect them. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting because of all of the dozens of people that I've moved for jobs, it is a very, very small number that have not ultimately been happy because of the move. Hmm. Um, I'd say it's in the small minority of cases where that tends to be. Uh, because I think by the time you get there, you've had so many meetings and you know the, the team and the company so well. Your spouse and kids have come out for several visits. Hmm. And so it's been thought about and agonized over and analyzed. 
and um, the family has come to a, a cohesive decision. So the key is, as you said, communication and to involve all family members because, of course, it's going to affect their lives in a big way. Yeah, you know, and I know some families are not above bribery, you know. Hey, one of the great things if we move to this area where we can have a big backyard is, guess what? You can get the dog you always wanted, mm. <laughs> for example. You know, you've got to think, what, 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 what is the currency your child is operating under and <laughs> right. um, what might well, speak their language? Yeah, it has to be a win for them, right? I mean, that's... Uh, mm-hmm. That is what we uh, what we what we teach about in the total leadership class, and is is helping people to see that any choice they make about the investment of their attention or their energy or their time, uh, the more you think about the impact that that's having on other people around you who you care about, and not just at work, but in all the different parts, the more likely you're going to be successful. That's right. That's right. And I think the other thing that really resonated with me personally from total leadership is. The idea that at the end of the day, time is all each of us has. And so you really need to manage that, frankly, ruthlessly, if you want to be able to fit in everything that you want to be able to fit in. And um, so you really need to be thoughtful and not reactive to things coming at you, Mm -hmm. but be much more proactive about how you want to expend your energy and share your time. Indeed. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Jenna, thank you so much. It's really been a treat. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.